I want you guys to think back. No, not think back, but imagine yourself 2,000 years ago, this morning waking up, and you've been hearing rumblings of somebody in the area that's been teaching in a way that no one else has ever heard or seen, a life by which when he speaks, lives are changed. All of a sudden, blind can see, deaf can hear, lame can speak and walk, where lives are being dramatically changed. Well, that person's name is Jesus. And you're hearing that he's going to be kind of in your area, in your neighborhood, but out in the wilderness somewhere. And you, you hear that he's, he's preaching and teaching through, and you want to go take your family to go hear him. So imagine waking up, taking your family, walking the 3.62 miles it takes to get to the, the mountains here, uh, Placerita Canyon, because you can't drive, right? you got to hike out there. It's dirty, it's hot, no coffee, donuts, restrooms, things like that. But you want to hear, because it's it's... It sounds amazing. The religious people are upset. And you're like, well, that makes me want to hear more. (laughs) Me, the contrarian in me, I want to hear more about what's going on with that. And so you make the trek. And you show up and you hear this teacher teach as he's sitting kind of on the edge. And and you're there and you can barely hear what's going on, but you can hear because there's thousands of people around you. And you're there and the day is growing longer and longer. And he's talking about what it means to live a life today as if the kingdom of heaven was here now? What relationships and marriage is supposed to look like? And what it looks like to live as a, as a new person and living as bringing about the kingdom of heaven here today? He starts talking about blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who are... And he begins to share these stories about life in relationship with God, and he, he, he lays out the most important of all the laws. Number one, love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's dialoguing, and he's talking through these things. Hours have gone by, and you've been listening, because it's the first time you're hearing words of power. Words where you go, I can, I can live up to that. Because it's about surrender and allowing a new life to be drawn out of my brokenness. I want that. And at the end of this conversation, he tells a story, Jesus. He tells a story, and you can see it in Matthew at the top of your notes there. I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew chapter 7. He tells a story about how if you're really wise, and this is two full chapters. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're really, really wise, you're going to not only just listen and hear the words that I'm sharing, but you will actually do them. And when you do that, you're like a wise person, right? Building your house on solid rock, on a solid foundation, being built strong. And if you do that, you're wise. You're a wise person. But if you don't, if you just merely hear the words and walk away and act like nothing and everything's okay, you're like a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. So when troubles come, and how many of us have grown up and seen troubles? (laughs) It's going to happen. It's life. The house won't stand strong. So as we talk, as we begin to wrestle through church, 
See, I've been tasked with talking about built strong. Let's look at scripture and what God means by that. And my specific topic that I was asked to talk about was building strong connections. And what does that look like? Building strong connections? Like that's so, I don't know. And I began to really think about it. The two most important, I mean, Jesus himself said it. The two most important laws are what? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first connection. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. And I think in our Western thinking, our Western culture, those two quote-unquote laws, a lot of times we separate them as if they're two different things. But the reality is when Jesus was talking about it, it's not A and then B. It's both and. They're both and. And the two connections we're going to talk about, number one is how do we get connected with God? What does that look like? And number two, how do we connect with one another? The church. You're a member of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. When we become Christians, when we are saved by God's amazing grace, we are brought into new life in his family. And that's what we're going to be talking about that and what that looks like. So first we connect with God. It's through Christ alone. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So you can write in that word adoption there. I know I skipped three. I'll go back to that. Don't worry about it. I tend to do that sometimes. Because the most important thing before we talk about the church is a relationship with God. That is the most important thing. Because when we're not connected to God, it causes problems in all areas of our lives, especially with one another. And we see that happening from the very beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 through 4-ish. And we see relationship at its best because we have God created man. He created man in his own image. He breathed his very own breath into them and brought them to life. And they have this unique relationship. It's pretty amazing. Go back and read the stories. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to go read it. And there's this element where there's the God of the universe who just spoke everything into existence and then took time to mold and shape man in his own image has a unique relationship with them. He gives them job and a task as they work together in, in continuing to maintain and manage this heaven on earth. It's amazing. It's pretty cool. There's this working relationship where he gave them charge over all of it. Except for one thing. Hey, guys, don't, don't eat that one tree right there. Don't eat it. If you do, you're going to die. Urgh, sounds pretty harsh. Because it is. And they didn't understand what that meant. Maybe they did. I don't know. Because at that point, they hadn't experienced death. But imagine this intimate relationship where you can walk naked with God and your spouse. That's pretty amazing. That's what was happening. No shame, no guilt, just free. I think that is awesome. Man, I wish I had that kind of intimate relationship with God where I feel like I could do that. And see, unfortunately, they chose to take 
their lives in their own hands and decided that what God had set up, this world, this process by which they get to work alongside of God and be in intimate, loving relationship with him and allow him to just take care of them, they decided, you know what, I think we're going to do this on our own. The Bible talks about Eve taking a bite of this apple, being deceived, and there's this process by which she gives it to Adam and he chooses to eat it too, and thereby disobeying God. Well, when they did that, the Bible talks about, there's this interesting dynamic where it talks about their eyes are open and they notice that one another were naked. And, and this is, they notice something. There's a brokenness. Because not only were they noticed they were naked, they felt shame. Brokenness entered into the world. Brokenness in relationship to those two, Adam and Eve. The Bible says they fashioned for themselves clothes made out of leaves. I I don't think it probably worked very good. (laughs) Because they still hid themselves when God came looking for them to come work in the cool of the morning, the Bible says, that he came looking to engage with them and have a relationship with them. Hey, Adam, Eve, where you guys at? Oh, we hid ourselves. We felt, we saw we're naked. Who told you you were naked? There's this conversation that's coming and begins to happen. And it's one still full of hope. When you read the story, oh, man. Because if it was me and I said, don't touch that, what do we do and react? We're going to karate chop them. But God doesn't do that. I can just see him kind of pulling away the leaves. Who told you? Come, come here. Come here. Yeah, okay. Oh, and you fashion leaves? You think that's, that's not? No, I can still see, Adam. <laughs> but it's okay. I can still see. It's okay because I love you. And see, that choice brought brokenness. It brought, the Bible says the word is sin. It brought separation between Adam and Eve. They felt shame between their relationship, but it also felt shame between him and God. And it broke what God set up for good. It broke it because they chose differently. So God, being God, God being the one to want to bring reconciliation, had to walk through the consequences. Look, you, you're going to suffer the consequences now. My heart is broken that you chose something outside of me. But I'm still going to make a way. But there's still consequences. And you can read the story as he goes through and issues out consequences from Eve to Adam to the snake, the serpent... He kicks them out of the garden, and he sets up these angels with flaming swords. I can just imagine that. I mean, that would be so cool. I mean, I mean, it's not cool, but it's cool. You guys get what I mean when I say that, right? Like, what? Because they can't go back because if they eat of the tree of life, but yet they're still broken. God's like, I've got to make a way to bring the tree of life. And while he does this, this is amazing, right? Because death was supposed to happen, and death is coming and does come to Adam and Eve. It doesn't come instantly, but there's a soul that begins to break down and brokenness is eroding away in their relationship. We see it experienced in their kids and it just continues to get passed down to the brokenness we experience today. But God, foreshadowing the coming of the one that will fix it all, being Jesus, decides to show them and help them see what he means by what is coming, this death. But the death that will cover all of our guilt, all of our shame, take away our nakedness and repair the brokenness between us and God and us and one another. So God takes an animal, 
and he kills it. Now, I'm giving you my imaginary situation as I sit there. A lot of times I like to, when I read the Bible, picture myself in these situations. So this isn't the specific Bible explanation of it. But this is if I was imagining myself there with Adam. Because the Bible does say that he killed the animal and he fashioned for them clothes. But for those of you that have been hunting and know what it means to kill and skin an animal, is it a pretty experience? Is it like going to the store and buying something off the shelf and going, here's some clothes? No, it's not. There's a knife involved. There's blood involved. There's a hide that needs to dry off, and then you need to fashion it and make it. And God did that for Adam and Eve as he clothed them to cover what? Their guilt and their shame. As a foreshadowing experience of saying, hey, this is a physical representation of what will come. Oh, if you trust me, I'm chasing you down, and I'm going to get you. And it's going to be ugly. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but it will happen. That's a beautiful story. And that was foreshadowing that his son, Jesus. See, how do we connect with God? But see, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man and the man, Jesus Christ. That's it. It's all about Jesus. If you're going to remember anything that I have to say, if it's only that Jesus fixes everything, then I'm happy. I can walk away. So what do we do? First, we confess our sins. We experience brokenness all around us. In our own lives, if we can admit that, that we're broken, (laughs) we're in trouble. We see it around us. But we know it's in us, and he is, the Bible says this in 1 John, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. God gives. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, that animal that God killed, it was dead. Dead as a doornail. That animal in and of itself could not save Adam and Eve, but it represented the one who was going to be killed that then came back to life to conquer Satan's sin and death. See, Jesus' death killed death because of the power of the resurrection. And it's the belief that we go, it's in you and through you that I have redemption. We surrender to that. And which is when we accept. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Listen, we're going to bring it real personal. You guys ready? Um, I remember I had Uncle Scott. I'm just going to use his name, Uncle Scott. None of you know him. And uh, my earliest memories of Uncle Scott was Christmas. And um, being five or six years old, you judge all your cousins and uncles and grandparents based on the Christmas gift they give you, right? I mean, that's just the reality. That's like, oh, thanks for the dollar store toy. Thanks, Uncle Scott. And um, that was my experience with Uncle Scott as a kid. And I remember growing up, though, being a teenager um, and hearing stories of Uncle Scott. Because this Uncle Scott, I mean, we are all broken, but he was like broken, if you guys know what I mean by that, like drug addict, in and out of jail, couldn't keep a job, Um, you know, I mean, you can go through the list of things of like, when you look at Uncle Scott, you're like, there's no hope for him, very, just rejecting 
even as a teen, you could see that. And there came to a point, though, where he was so broken and coming out of jail, just needed a place to live. He's either going to be on the street or my parents. I don't know why they did this, but they felt led by God to invite him to live at our house. And he didn't live in the house. He lived in like a, you know those trailers that go on the back of a truck? They have the overhead bed on the top. That's what he lived in, but not on a truck, just like sitting in the backyard. <laughs> we lived in Valverde, so it was okay and appropriate to do it there. Um, and uh, there he is living there. And I remember having experiences with him. And um, he told us the most inappropriate stories and drank and smoked all the time. And um, there was just, I mean, it was... Probably good for him, but maybe not as good for us. But by God's grace, there was not a lot of muck that landed on us as a family. It just was. There was Uncle Scott, the hermit, living in the backyard that, you know, was weird. And um, although his life started getting together, he ended up working for my parents. Um, and um, later on, 10 years, fast forward, I started working for my parents as well. And we started working together. And so we gained a relationship. And it was one of those, like, he's my older uncle, and I'm the younger kid working, and, you know, he's all wise and powerful, and I'm the dummy that comes and learning how to work. And, um, but there was a good relationship that was happening. There was a good rapport that we built with one another. It was good. Well, a few years went by, and, and he'd come in and out of Christmas, and he was highly rejective towards the gospel, highly rejective towards Christianity. He didn't want to come to Christmas because my grandma, the hyper-religious one, and let me tell you something, his mom, that's my grandma, was the woman at the well, married six times, and by God's grace, the seventh marriage, her life was dramatically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and became like a full-on, I remember going places with her, and if she didn't tell every single person in the doctor's office about Jesus, she did not win, right? She had to tell everyone, do you know Jesus? Uh, 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 you need to know Jesus. I can pray with you right now. We could pray. You know, it, it, she was so intense. And, um, but see, he grew up with the broken grandma, with men in and out of the house, so there's a lot of resentment, anger, unforgiveness. He didn't want to come around. He didn't want to be there. Probably ashamed of his past and his history. Allowing his wife, who had cancer, abandoned her and she died. His daughter, alone. Well, he got cancer. And I'm not talking like cancer. I mean cancer. Cancer's horrible. But this is one of those aggressive cancers that began to destroy his body from the inside out. Like, it was super fast, just eating him away completely. And um, I really felt led by God's spirit. At this point, he wasn't working for the family. He had retired. Um, you know how you do that, but he did his best. And um, I really felt led by God's spirit to go talk to him, have a conversation. It was coming to the point where he was going to go to have a surgery. It was one of these surgeries where they're like, hey, we're going to look at it, but there's not much we're going to do kind of surgery, but it's very dangerous surgery. So I went. So I show up at his house. He's living at um, his daughter's house, actually, which was interesting. And um, I go walk in. And Uncle Scott, he was six foot two, 195 pounds, super healthy guy. Um, and I walk in, and he's about 80 pounds. He's got his oxygen going. And um, I walk in, and I see him. And I, like I said, we had a good working relationship, and it was fun. At that point, I was obviously older, so I wasn't the punk kid anymore. <laughs> and he knew I was there. So I sat down next to him on the bench, and he lights up a cigarette <clears throat> with he's still on oxygen. And um, I know, I was laughing too. And he could barely breathe. He can't swallow. He's in so much pain. I said, hey, you look horrible, Uncle Scott. Uh, I feel worse than I look. Yeah, wow. 
And I said, you know, I'm here to ask you just one question, which will lead maybe to more conversation. It's simply, Uncle Scott, when you die, which probably will happen soon, are you afraid? Are you afraid? And what happened next, I will tell you this, it was only God's spirit working. You know what he said to me? He goes, you know what, i got to explain something to you, Tim. And I said, what is that? And I was getting ready to hear it. Because, you know, the, the hat changed from Uncle Scott to, like, you're the little pipsqueak kid. He's going to teach me a lesson here. And he puts his, the Bernie Sanders finger in my face like this. And, um, and, I, and I look at him and I say, what, what's up? You know, and he says, as a matter of fact, when I stand before God, you know what I deserve? And I said, what's that? He says, I deserve hell. You deserve hell? He goes, all the pain I'm feeling right now, every bit of just horrificness that I feel right now, it's going to be this for eternity. I said, well, why do you say that? He goes, let me tell you why I say that. He goes, I've been thinking about it. The last couple of days I woke up this morning and I, I, I just realized I'm going to stand before God and I'm, I'm, this is it. He goes, because I believe this. He goes, it's different than your grandma Peggy is what he says to me. <laughs> There's nothing that I can do. Because I believe sin is when you hurt somebody else. And I have hurt so many people, it's not even funny. I've abandoned my wife, who died of cancer. And then my daughter, in, in anger, I have broken every relationship that I know. I've hurt everyone I know around me. So when I stand before God, the only thing that I deserve is eternal pain and suffering. I mean, what do you say? Yep, you're right. Yeah. So the Bible says, it's harsh, but that's a true reality. I mean, he was surrendering to the fact that his heart was full of darkness, separated from God. And then he said this, he says, you know, but my hope is that it might be different. He goes, I don't know why, but I'm sitting here and I'm in my body is in hell, and it's just going to get worse. But my grandson just left, and he was bouncing on my knee. And for a moment, I felt like a glimpse of heaven. And when I stand before God, he has every right to choose to send me to hell because that's what I deserve, and that's all I deserve. But my hope is, my hope is that little bit of peace that I experienced, that little piece of heaven that I experienced is what I could experience. But it's not going to be that way. And I said, and walked him through this. He says, Uncle Scott, you're right. You're absolutely right, 100%. Because you never went to church. You didn't hear the sermons, but you literally just walked through verse by verse. There's one thing you left out, that's Jesus. Today, that person that will take upon all the guilt, all the shame, all the pain, all the suffering, he paid the price that you deserve, that I deserve, we deserve, so when you stand before God, he is going to mediate on your behalf. You just have to surrender. And he said, I want that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. 
And I love this in John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in that moment with Uncle Scott, it was God's spirit showing him his brokenness, showing him the hope by which he could rest upon, which is Jesus. And with him surrendering to Christ, I will tell you this, even in the couple of weeks he left, had left living, reconciliation happened between him and his daughter and two of his sisters. Amazing. God began to build heaven on earth in his life as he surrendered to Jesus, knowing there was no way he could have ever fixed it. And the peace, the Bible says, peace that surpasses all understanding and comfort by God's Holy Spirit that he experienced was miraculous, even that he would say, I do not deserve to experience what I'm experiencing today and now. That is amazing. And that is what it means to become adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. As we surrender to Jesus, he begins to work new life in us. That's amazing. So, if you are like my Uncle Scott and have not received and surrendered to Jesus, today's your day to do that. Today's the day that you can allow him to come in and begin to fix the brokenness that's within your heart. And it doesn't stop there. The reconciliation he began to experience because of he asking for forgiveness and showing and surrendering and walking in humility and seeing the repair that began to happen and set his daughter on a whole nother course is miraculous. That's miraculous. That's the God that we serve. It's the God who wants to bring redemption and hope to a world that is broken. Amen? For those of you that know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Which leads us then, being adopted into God's family, that's the church. That's us. The church is the method by which God has decided to share this good news, to bring about the kingdom of heaven here on this earth today, now. The church is the tip of the spear. See, Jesus has said, once you become adopted into the family of God, you now put on Christ. Your identity is not of this earth. We become aliens here. And we put on Christ. We become part of the family. The church is a family. Now, I say that word because many of us grown up in very dysfunctional, broken families. That's a reality. And a lot of times we've experienced dysfunction and brokenness within the church. But that's not the hope that we stand on. That's not the promise by which God has. We aim and we work towards, and we're going to talk through these things. Living it out together. And it's not easy. It's hard. As we put on Christ, this new identity. And if we start off all from the same place of a complete surrender, I can't do this on my own. I'm fully broken without Christ. I cannot do it. That sets us all on the same playing field. And from there, we have one thing in common, the most important thing, that is our Savior Jesus. It's amazing. So we're going to talk about two different elements. One is the church being a family and generically how that looks in general. This is the part where being built strong and looking at scripture and evaluating our lives and how we operate as a church, does it match up to the way that God is asking the church to function? (laughs) Not always. And this is where I allow and I trust God's spirit to work in your lives as he's working in my life to bring conviction about. Just like my Uncle Scott, the Holy Spirit was working in his life to draw him to salvation. I believe God is working within our hearts to draw us the truth in us to see where and how do we individually need to take 
our steps towards maturing and growing up in Christ, being a part of the family. And I trust God to be working in your lives in that. And so the first part is once we become a Christian, we become part of the family. And we work towards unity. You can write the word unity in your notes there. We work towards unity. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly, brother, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That sounds pretty awesome. I would tell you this, if the church just did that one thing really, 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 really well, the world would be a completely different place. Because so often in the church, gossip here, gossip there, frustration here, let's get this little group of people here, let's talk about this person here, let's do this here. Man, it's divisive and it's ugly. And see, God is wanting to move us to a place of unity. It's hard, it's not going to be easy, but it's right. We've got to do this. We pursue helpful relationships. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. There's this dynamic and a synergy that happens when we work inclusively. I used a lot of words basically to say, young, old, men, women, we work together to figure this thing out. That's what we do. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I remember I was, uh, I was a youth pastor for a while, and um, the, the only age group that I didn't let work with teenagers was, like, basically if you were six years difference in age, you couldn't work with the kids, the teenagers. Because I just felt like there's an, I was like, you can't work with teenagers, sorry. So if you're, like, 19, just graduating, you're out. Sorry, go, go grow up a little bit. Then come back. But other than that, so it's, like, 24 years old, all the way up until, like, 80 years old, we had working with our teenagers. It was amazing. I, I just loved having some of our elders that would come and work with our teenagers, men and women together in community and small groups. And it was so awesome. And there's this, there's this ability where we can learn from one another, where I'm looking down to reach and bring somebody up. And I'm being, being brought along by somebody who's older than me. And we can learn from one another. It's, this is the body of Christ. I, I, so it's just something we work towards and we, work, and we pursue those helpful relationships Another one is we support and care for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. These are Jesus' words. He's explaining and saying, listen, if you can't love one another, the world, those who are not a part of the family, aren't going to want to be a part of that. They're not going to want to be there. They're not going to want to hang out with you guys. They're not going to want to have community with you. They don't want to be there. It says in 1 John, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love one another. Whew. I mean, that's equating relationships with one another to our relationship with God. That's a big deal. Jesus himself says, listen, if you have ought against your brother... If you have ought against, which is angst or kind of this negative tension that's really bad. If you have angst with somebody, you need to go and be reconciled. Before you bring your sacrifice to come to the altar, to come worship, leave that before you come to God and go and be reconciled with that other person. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so often I don't think we make this relationship a priority in, in church, and we got it. This is something we got to work towards. This is something that we just have to be okay with. 
We confront with grace. See, I remember I was talking to Lenny. We were talking about this. He's just the third time he's heard this story. Probably fifth time, but, yeah, because I've preached this sermon. This is my third time, so you guys get my best, so lucky you guys. Um, and if this is your best, you're like, oh, man, that guy's. Um, and we're talking about relationships. He was giving advice to somebody. He goes, look, in marriage, you could pursue two things, peace or tension. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good advice. And I was like, but sometimes in marriage, you got to just pursue tension. And my wife gives me a look like, what? And I'll explain it. And I think it's important that we know. In marriage, those of you that are married and spouses, you know what? And even with brothers and sisters' relationships and family relationships, when you're close to somebody, they bring out the worst in you, right? I mean, that's just the reality. They bring out the worst in you. Especially as a parent. I'm like, see my kid. I'm like, oh, why am I yelling right now? Why do I feel it right here? So we have a choice in that moment, right? We have a choice. We can blame the other person, or we can look in the mirror. And when we begin to blame the other person and point the finger, it's their fault, this, we become victims, we become jaded, we become angry. See, part of our process, our sanctification, our growing up, our maturing in Jesus' process is when we're caught up in a moment that's difficult, because it will be, we have a choice. To blame the other person or to surrender to Jesus who fixes all. And if we're both doing that, right, that would be amazing. But see, the fear is, especially for those of us that have been married, the fear is that if we go, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. They're upset. Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to work in their heart as you work in my heart. I'm going to trust that as I begin to look and see how I need to own this part of the relationship and how, God, you need to work in my life to make this new that they're going to do that on their own. See, in the church, if we began to do that in a healthy way, man, this thing would... And it's going, to, it's going to take time to get there. We're going to stumble on this. That's life. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're learning how to dance. That's how it works. Because the next point of this is we confront with grace. That's the tension I'm talking about. Sometimes you've got to lean into the tension. Sometimes you have to have that difficult conversation that leads to peace. You guys get what I mean by that? We don't ignore it. We don't sweep it under the rug. Sometimes the pain is the thing that we need to feel together. And being okay with maybe at this moment, we can't resolve it, but I believe God is going to speak to you. I believe God is going to continue to speak to me as we seek the Lord. We will come together. Doesn't that sound amazing? And many of us practice that in our daily lives, but we fail to do that within the church. We fail to do that in the church. Jesus says this, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own. Listen, we got to own our stuff. we got to learn to forgive ourselves so that we can forgive others. Because we've been forgiven. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. When Jesus says forgive so you can be forgiven, like that's a command. But we justify, we're a victim. But it's important that we have those conversations. And we do it in love. We do it with grace. We first look. Lord, what do I need to learn in this? How, I, how do I need to mature and grow up? First, we love, we show hospitality, and we serve. Above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. The goal of the church is to bring God glory through Christ. As we are learning to live as redeemed people, stumbling together towards the cross, it should be attractive to those who don't know the faith, who don't know God, who are far from God, to go, ooh, there's something about that family that they're working towards reconciliation versus the brokenness I experience and have experienced in my own life. There's something beautiful about that. And I do believe this. When we look at this scripture here in 1 Peter, above all, um, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I think a lot of times we're... <laughs> We're so afraid that then the person, the behaviors of that person is not going to be dealt with, right? This is where we step out in faith and trust God. We have to trust that God does. And when it comes to the world, I'll tell you this. I believe this next five to ten years is crucial as Christians that hospitality is the key by which we are going to get into the community and bring Christ into the community and through our homes. It's going to be key. It's going to be huge. This thing, this thing we call the church, we get to gather on Sunday mornings. It's a beautiful thing, and it needs to stay. From here, we go. We're here, and we go. And I believe our homes is the way that God wants to bring our neighbors. The most effective I've seen in my life with ministry has been through my home. Taco Tuesdays, people coming over, hanging out in my front yard. It's amazing what taco can do. <laughs> Sprinkle a little Jesus on it. Oof. It works. It works. And those are just a few general pieces of rock, right, that we're learning to build as the church collectively. There are so much more. Open up your Bibles, guys, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It talks about how we are to operate as representatives of God here on earth. These are just like five or six. And if we just got these five or six down as a church, we'd be so much more effective in our ministry and mission. These are very generic. Now, how do we live that out as Heart of the Kingdom? Because many of you, the reason why, you're like, why are you even here? Because I'm not your day-to-day -day pastor. That's Pastor Jim, and he does a great job at it. He's amazing. He is my pastor. Just so you guys know, he pastors me. And it is a blessing to have him as a pastor. But see, this experience is the reason why we're doing this. My five-year-old figured it out. We're walking up here. Oh, buddy Calvin. He's, I don't know, he's growing up. And he's running up here, and he's like, why are we here again, Daddy? He goes, wait, is this your church too? Yeah, we're part of this church. And the other one last week? Yeah, buddy. And ours? Yeah, that's three churches. Yep, but we're the same church? Yes. So we can help each other. Yes. From the mouths of babes, right? How cool is that? Like, I'm like, if my five-year-old can get it, there's hope for us, Right? And that's what this experience is about, is to see how God is resourcing Heart of the Kenyans Church. The video that you saw, a lot of those people are from our campus. It's sharing their story. I'm hoping to see more of that as we begin to engage with one another on varied levels, as we learn what it means to do church together in different locations, supporting one another, growing up in our faith together. How amazing would that be? That's amazing. 
So we're trying to figure that out together. And so how we, how we, these are, I'm putting on like the Heart of the Canyons hat here. This is more specific about how we function as the church. We're working. We're, again, just like the first list of things, this is what we're aiming to do, right? And sometimes we miss the target, but we're working to tighten up, to aim. The first one of those is membership. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Let us encourage one another. we got to come regularly to Sundays. I'm excited because you guys are going to two services. Yeah, 9 and 1045, you have options. Not for you, but for who? The community, to bring people in. Maybe you go to two services because you're going to bring somebody and then you stay and serve at another. I don't know what God's going to call you to do because it's different. It's different than my calling. It's different than yours. But it gives us more options to share the good news of Jesus Christ because I know it's preached from this pulpit. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, no longer are we wearing, as we come together as Christians, our old identities that we used to build our lives around. Off-roading, I'm the gun guy, I'm the club guy, I'm this golfer, whatever. We come here because of Jesus and the ministry and mission that he has, not only in our lives, but through us. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If the toe hurts and it's infected, guess what's happening to the rest of the body? It's affected. If it's healthy, it's strong, the rest of the body is strong. And we want to work towards health as a community. Amen? That's one of our goals. Part of that is with membership, owning our peace, serving with the gifts that God has given you and how he's given it, from the sound people to the setup, the teardown, kids' ministries, hospitality, uh, evangelism in the community, events that we're doing, partnerships with the school, teach. I, mean, I can go on and on and on because it's not just what happens here on a Sunday morning. And then with our service, also each one of you on the first day of the week should set aside a sum of money in proportion to what you have earned and use it for the offering. It costs money, guys. It's a reality. And God has called us to sacrificially give to the ministry and mission of the church. If you are a member of Heart of the Canyons, your, part of your membership is to give. If you're not a member, of course we want to help give and participate in what's going on. But think about becoming a member. So you can see the inner workings and have a meeting with Pastor Jim as he goes through our doctrine and our theology and how we begin to operate as a church and what that looks like to own a piece of it. Because, listen, when we're on our own, it's dangerous. It just is. It is dangerous. But when we're together and this understanding that there's a collective help and a, we have a collective goal, we're working towards the same goal, man, it's gold. It's gold. Another way that we do that is maturity, maturing. We try and grow. The Bible says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. See, as Christians, we grow up. That's just part of what happens. Some of us are at different stages in our faith. That is the beauty of the church. The Bible says that we move from milk to like meat. There's this like analogy of food, and I love food, so I love this analogy, and I think it's a great analogy. Because the goal, one of the goals, this is a church that makes disciples who make disciples. And that principle also applies to food. How? I can make it work. Trust me. Are you ready? It works like this. A baby can't eat on its own. It needs somebody to feed them. Those of you that are more mature in the faith, 
What are we doing? Coming alongside those that are immature in the faith, learning, who've just surrendered to Jesus. We take them with us on a journey of faith. As we help them learn to take, to, and those of you parents in here that have had to wean children off, it's hard, right? It's not easy. It's a process. It takes time. And then when you get to the Cheerio and spaghetti phase that's all over their face and all over the walls, that's like the best and worst phase, right? Because they're learning how to eat on their own. They don't have a fork yet, but there's like foods everywhere. Some of us are like that with our faith. The food is just everywhere. We don't got to figure it out yet. And what does the parent do? You dumb little kid. What do you think you're doing? There's a fork and knife. No, they're patient sometimes. You want to do that, right? But we're patient with them. And as they get older, they learn to kind of cook on their own. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I love my kids. I've gone through three kettles in six months. Three. My middle child, she's like the little chef. She likes to cook. So she says, Daddy, I'm going to make something. I said, great. I'm going to work here in the dining room, you know, table. You do something in the kitchen. That's fine. And my wife, who has the toucan Sam nose, she's like, do I smell burning plastic? And I'm like, Maybe. What's going on in the kitchen? Olivia's in the, Olivia! Ah! You know, I love her, but she took the electric kettle, turned it on the stove. Yeah, you guys know what I mean. Melted it. And, um, and listen, many of us are there. We're like, what is this for? Okay, turn it on. That's where we're at in our faith. And I had the choice to yell at her. She doesn't know any better. It's my responsibility, my fault that I'm not training her better. I take ownership of that, Right? That's a silly analogy, but the reality is we got to give each other grace. Some of you, some of us think that they're more mature than they actually are. I thought Olivia could handle it. She couldn't. That's my responsibility. And so the way we do that and we help people grow up is through what we call the next steps. They're maturity classes. Next steps, workshop one, workshop two, workshop three, workshop four. And each one of these, and you're going to start to see them. We're doing them. Pastor Jim's going to put them online. There's a whole system we're putting in place for this next year to begin to help people Go from the bottle, learn what a fork and knife is of their faith, begin to cut that meat, eat on their own, so that then, what do you do? You don't keep growing and eating yourself. You learn how to cook to then share with other people and teach them how to go through that same process. Amen? And then guess what? After they've learned, who are they doing it with? And you're going off to help somebody else. It's amazing. So you'll see those come through, and I'm excited. Another one of those we're launching, and I know you guys already do it, but our campus is new, is community groups. This is Acts chapter 2, chapter, um, chapter two, verses 42 through 47. We took the concept of community groups. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching in the fellowship, the prayers, helping those in need day by day, breaking bread in homes. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Like I said, I believe that hospitality is the mode by which we can share the good news of Jesus Christ and have people in our homes. It's huge. And in a small group environment, when you're people who would never attend a large church on a big Sunday morning, they'll come over for tacos and talk about the struggles that they're having, especially if we're honest about it ourselves. If we share and we're like, look, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at in my stage of faith. And not pretend and be like, I'm still trying to learn how to use this fork. Oh, poke myself in the eye. Whoops. Right? We're honest about these things. People are attracted to that. To see, oh, oh. Okay, I, I can sink my teeth into surrendering to Jesus. Okay, cool. Let's do this thing together. And you'll see those. I know, I think you guys got it. I don't know how you guys send them up from here, but if you're interested, there's small groups all over the place. Men's, women's, there's a bunch of them that are happening. And it's an opportunity, though, that it isn't just an inclusive event. 
I'm sorry, exclusive event, that it becomes more inclusive, that you can invite your neighbors and an opportunity to share the good news. Another way we do this here is serving in ministry. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And there are very varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now you are the body of Christ in individually members of it. Listen, I know that you guys have a big task ahead of you, switching to two services. We need help. That's a reality. Kids Ministries is going to need help. Set up teardown, hospitality. Everything we're doing right now is times two. So have fun with that one. <laughs> but it'll be good. Because, again, it's that ownership. We all get to figure this thing out. And I'll tell you this. It's not going to be perfect, right? You're going to come here and go, what do I do? I don't know. Figure it out. Other stuff, we'll have figured out. And guess what? We're going to get in it, and I guarantee you they're going to tweak it. Be like, wait, I thought it was this way last week. Yeah, it was. Now it's going to be different. But guess what? That's where the grace comes in, right? We're going to figure it out. Because this thing is not for who? Not just for you. It's allowing God to work in and through us to be able to get the 90% of people in this community that don't know Jesus. You guys, we forget this all the time. As we're driving down the road, 90% of people don't know Jesus. There's over 400 and some odd thousand people in Santa Cruz Valley. 400 and some odd thousand. Do the math. Even if this church filled up to 10,000, that's not even 1%. Think about that. We got our work cut out for us. But see, we hold fast to the promise that Jesus said we will do greater things than even he did. We, the church. We surrender to God, trust his Holy Spirit to work through us for the glory of God. Living on mission. This is the opportunity that we have, we take in our individual lives to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not just this guy from the stage that has the microphone. You have your own story of faith that God has transformed you from darkness to life. Do you know it? Do you share it? Do you talk about it? Why not? Why not? Do we make every opportunity to do it with kindness and respect, the Bible says? Are we ready with the story in here? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Look, we're part of a new family. Well, it's not new. It's been around a long time. But we're part of a family. It's not perfect, but Jesus is perfect. And he is making us new. And we surrender to him. He continues to make us new, continues to drive us closer, to continue to help us walk and live bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth.